0: All right, John chapter 11. So you can divide John into two sections, chapters 1 through 11 and then 12 to 21. 1 through 11, some people call the book of signs. There's seven miracles that Jesus performed or seven signs that reveal something about his identity. This morning, we're going to look at the last of those seven signs in chapter 11, the most significant, um, the climactic sign, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So just to remind you, last week, Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Jews want to stone him, and so he withdraws from Jerusalem. He's about um, 20 miles away or so on the other side of the Jordan where he had spent some time earlier in his ministry. So we're going to pick up in chapter 11. This is a really long chapter. We're going to try to look at it in four, uh, four sections. Let's we'll do, the, do the best we can with the time that we have. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and his sister, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's chapter 12. We'll see that next week. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That's interesting, isn't it? He loved them, so when he heard Lazarus was sick, he didn't jump up immediately and go. He said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of Lazarus' death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let's also go that we may die with him. So Jesus is, kind of, is in a different territory outside the, the reach of the Jerusalem Jews, and Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, is sick. So they send messengers to Jesus to say, come and see him. They don't say, come and heal him, but that's probably implied in the invitation. And when the messengers get to Jesus, what he says to them is, go back and tell Mary and Martha, this sickness won't end in death. This is for the glory of God and for my glory as well. So the messengers go back. It's a it's a day. It's a day's travel. So let's say they go on Monday to see Jesus. They're, they're back at Mary and Martha's on Tuesday, and they deliver that message, and Jesus stays where he is on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, he says to the disciples, let's go to Bethany. And they're saying, let's not do that. That's really close to Jerusalem. It's just a couple of miles away. Last time we were there, people tried to kill you. Are you sure it's okay? And Jesus, this kind of cryptic way, is saying, it's not my time yet. We've seen throughout John's gospel that this whole idea of Jesus is our. Nobody can touch him. Nobody can arrest him. Nobody can hurt him until his hour has come. And he's saying, my, my time's not up yet. So it's okay, we can go. We need to wake Lazarus up, and they take Jesus literally and say, well, if he's a, he'll, he'll get better then. If he's just asleep, he'll wake up, and Jesus says, no, he's dead. He's dead. So Jesus knows before he starts, one, that Lazarus is dead, and two, that he's going to raise him from the dead. We're going to wake him up. So he and the Father have worked all of this out already. We've seen throughout John's gospel that Jesus only moves as he's led by the Father. His mom can't pressure him. His brothers can't pressure him. Expectations from other people can't pressure him. He only does what he sees from the father, and so he and the father have worked all of this out before he even begins. He knows Lazarus is dead, and he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. And Thomas says, I think it's a show of solidarity. We call this guy Doubting Thomas, but here he seems to be pretty courageous. He says, well, if Jesus is going to die, then we're going to die too. Let's go. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So I think the day that the messengers left is the day Lazarus died. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the son of God who's to come into the world. So Jesus arrives on the outskirts of Bethany, Martha hears, and she comes out to meet him. And this, this opening statement, I don't hear accusation. I don't hear bitterness in her. It's just a statement of fact. If you had been here, then my brother would still be alive. There may be a little guilt. Maybe she's thinking, oh, we should have sent for you earlier. We waited too long. I, I don't know. I think it's just she's, she's grieving. And she's saying, if you had been here, things would have been different. Again, I don't think she's bitter. I don't think she's she she's angry at jesus i don't think she's rebuking him cuz the next thing she says is as I, I know that god will will give you whatever you ask for jews believed in a general resurrection at the end of time and maybe what she's saying is if you pray for lazarus then that I, I, if you ask then he'll be resurrected at the end and that this death won't be won't be the end of him he'll be resurrected at the end of time with the other righteous Jews. And Jesus says, you know, your brother will rise again. And I think Martha hears that maybe the way if you've ever uh, had someone die in your family and people say, oh, you know, they're in a better place or there's no more pain, just kind of those kind of cliches that we use. when We don't know what to say. I'm thinking that's maybe what Martha's hearing here, just some kind of bland words of comfort. Well, I know he'll rise again at the last day. And Jesus says, time out. I need you to hear me on this. I'm the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me, like your brother, even if he dies, like your brother, he's not dead forever. He'll live forever. I have the power to bring him life. That's what he's saying. He says, Martha, do you believe that? And her response is extraordinary. John's gospel, he says in John 21, the reason I wrote all of this is that you would believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you'd have life in his name. And Martha here verbatim says what John wants all of us to say. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. What Martha, Martha's response to Jesus is the ideal response. We've seen, we've seen Jesus engage with Pharisees for weeks now. Guys who should know better guys who studied the Old Testament, guys who know the the check marks for what the Messiah is going to look like, and they don't get it. And this uneducated woman in the midst of her grief nails it. Jesus, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. After Martha said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village But was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same thing her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So this is maybe a better translation. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, Jesus was intensely angry, and he was so angry he shook. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved Lazarus. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? A little skepticism there. These guys were... From Jerusalem, where Jesus had healed the man born blind in John chapter 9, and they're saying, Well, if he really loved Lazarus, he could have done something about it. Maybe you've heard that same criticism lodged against God. Well, if God was really good, or if God was really loving, then he could have done something about this, couldn't he? And we see that as a an indictment on whether or not God truly loves us. So Jesus. Martha goes and gets Mary, and she comes running out, and she says the same thing again. I don't think there's any accusation or blame in her voice. If you had been here, my brother had died. She falls at his feet. It's a posture of worship and and submission. She's weeping. The Jews are weeping, and then Jesus gets really angry. What's he angry at? Is he angry because they're crying? Is he angry because he had already said, hey, this won't end in death? I mean, Lazarus is in a tomb. Is he upset that they're not connecting the dots? I don't think so. I think he's angry at the situation. I think he's angry at what death has done to his friend Lazarus, whom he loves. And I think he's angry at what death has done to Mary, whom he loves. And the reason I think that's because what he says, he gets angry and he says, where's the tomb?" That's where we're going. And then he weeps. And, And the word for wept is only used of Jesus in the whole New Testament. That word Jesus wept, that word crying or wept, it's not the same word that John uses to say how Mary weeps and the Jews weep. They both mean weeping. I think John just wants us to no, it's it's different. I think Mary and the Jews were mourning and grieving and weeping for Lazarus. I think Jesus was weeping with Mary, and that's different. I don't think he was grieving for Lazarus. He knew he was about to meet him. He was about to go wake him up. So I don't think he was crying for Lazarus. I think he was crying with Mary, if you can hear the difference in those two things. And so they go to the tomb. Jesus, once more deeply moved, there's that anger word again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said, but Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been in there for four days. Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When Jesus had said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And we'll pick up there next week. So, you may be familiar with some of this, these burial practices, particularly, you know, we take about Jesus' death. And, and, you know, Jews buried in caves, they didn't embalm. So, you die, you get put in a tomb, you get wrapped up in linen to keep your arms and your legs straight, you get a head cloth. And maybe they put some spices on you so you don't smell, and they leave you there for a year to decompose. They come back in and get your bones after a year and put them in a box. It's called an ossuary. And then that box they put on a shelf in the tomb, and that's your permanent resting place. So Lazarus is in a tomb. He's all wrapped up. Maybe there's some spices on him. Maybe he's not. Maybe not, but he, but he smells. There is this belief, it's not rooted in the Old Testament, maybe some kind of folklore, that when you died, your soul would hang around for three days trying to get back into your body. But on the fourth day, you started to decompose and smell, and your soul said, I'm out and realized that it wasn't going to ha- get access to your body again. So uh, who knows if anybody that in the uh, that uh, is dead. He's dead, dead, and they, there's no hope for him. There's no hope for him, even from a miracle worker. Jesus waits four days, and then he prays, kind of an odd prayer. Father, I thank you that you heard me, past tense. Again, I think he took care of all of this business with his father before he even started walking. I thank you that you heard me, and you always hear me. And the reason I'm saying any of this stuff out loud, it's not for our benefit. And so all of these people who are around will know that you sent me. Remember miracles in John are signs, and signs point to something about who Jesus is. And here we see Jesus overcoming an undefeated enemy, death. Everybody dies. And here Jesus shows that he's stronger even than death. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and Lazarus kind of comes out. He's all stiff from the wrappings that are all around him, and Jesus says, take off his grave clothes and, and let him go. It's an amazing story. We read that, and for some of you, everything with Lazarus, you're thinking, that's incredible. I'm drawn to Mary and Martha, and maybe that's where you are this morning. You're someone who's grieving. Maybe it's a literal loss, the loss of a loved one, or maybe it's not a, the death of a person. It's, it's some other loss in your life, and you're grieving it. And maybe like Mary and Martha, you would say, If Jesus had been here, it would have been different. And maybe there's some confusion. Maybe there's some hurt. Maybe there's some frustration in you. Think about what Mary and Martha, how they receive that word. So the messengers get back on Tuesday, and they say, Jesus isn't coming. He just told us to tell you that this wouldn't end in death. And they're looking at the cave where they just put their brother. Think about what they're... I don't even know how that begins to compute for them. They may know the story, they probably do, in John chapter 4 where a guy travels 20 miles. His son is sick in Capernaum and he travels 20 miles to Cana and says, Jesus, you got to come back and heal my son. And Jesus says, I don't. I don't have to travel back. You go home, he's healed. And the guy does in faith. He walks back and his son was healed. And they may know that story. You know, he, Jesus didn't have to be physically near to heal their brother. Who knows? I don't know what's going on in their minds, and what's going on in their hearts. But what I do know, and if you're Mary and Martha today, if you're grieving something, be encouraged. What they did, and it's the key dynamic when you're grieving, is they moved towards Jesus, not away from him. They ran towards him. They did not withdraw from him. And when you're grieving, that's the best step, is to draw near to him, even if there's a part of you that wants to pull away. They're very honest. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother would still be alive. I don't think that's a complaint. I think it's just a statement of fact. If you had been here, he'd still be alive. Right. But they continue to express trust in Jesus. Martha says, but I know that even now, God, he hears your prayers. Mary falls on his, at Jesus' feet in worship. I see Mar- Martha, this is maybe a stereotype. I see her as more kind of a practical thinker, and Mary, a bit more emotional feeler. But both of them continue to express trust in Jesus and he comforts them in the ways that are most meaningful to them. To Martha, he tells her something that's true. Let me tell you what's going on, Martha. I'm the resurrection and the life and your brother's going to live. He's going to live. She doesn't understand that he's going to be raised from the dead in a few minutes. But she gets he's going to be raised from the dead ultimately. Mary, Jesus doesn't try to say it's going to be okay. He doesn't try to reason with her. She's crying at his feet, and he just weeps with her. Very tender picture. Jesus, who knows he's about to bring her brother back from death, doesn't say, just hold on a minute. It's going to be okay. He doesn't say, stop crying. He doesn't say, did you believe in me? He just cries with her. This one who's strong enough to overcome death is tender enough. To cry with someone who's grieving if you're Mary and Martha this morning be encouraged by them I wonder what those couple of days were like for them that verse five and six to me are so interesting Jesus loved Mary Martha and Lazarus so when he heard Lazarus was sick he stayed where he was for two days because he loved them he waited the thing that Jesus wanted to do in Lazarus' life was so much greater than what Mary and Martha would have expected. He didn't just want to heal Lazarus. He wanted to bring Lazarus back from the dead to show a different aspect of who he is. The one who is the resurrection and the life. It a great deal of trust in Jesus to say, even when he waits, I'm not going to pull back. I'm going to choose to move towards. If you're grieving something this morning, be encouraged by Mary and Martha. Move towards him. Paul says God is a God of all comfort. If you withdraw, you're cutting yourself off from the source of comfort. Don't do that. Move towards him. Lazarus, main person we see in this story, is acted upon. He's in this tomb. He's dead, dead for four days. And uh, sometimes I, I think it would be great if our physical condition mirrored our spiritual condition. I was going to put a picture of a zombie up there, but they were all disturbing, and I didn't, want the, I didn't want the feedback. So that's how we are apart from Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we're dead in our sins and our transgressions. We're like those zombies. We're the walking dead. We don't realize that we're dead, but we are. And when we look at Lazarus, it's obvious. He can't do anything for himself, not one thing, There's nothing Lazarus can do. He's dead, dead. If his soul had been hanging around his body for three days, whatever that means, it's gone now. All he can do is respond to this voice from outside the tomb, Jesus, the resurrection of the life. Lazarus, come out. When we're dead in our sins, we're the same spot. We say Christianity is not about making good people better. It's about bringing dead people to life, and Jesus is the only one who can do that. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 to say We're still dead in our transgressions because of his great love for us. Out of mercy, God has made us alive in Jesus. It's this gift of grace. It's something that we receive from him. It's nothing that we earn. We can't make ourselves alive. All we can do is acknowledge that we're dead in our sins and ask God to breathe his life into us. If that's you this morning, if you're spiritually dead, can you hear the voice of God calling to you? Come out. To have an abundant life for you to live. He's come not to steal and kill and destroy. He's come that we would have life and have it fully. Many of you have already made that decision to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, but like Lazarus, you still have some grave clothes on. It's, we're living less than in, in the full freedom that Jesus has purchased for us. We looked a few weeks ago at that statement in John eight, the one who the Sun sets free is free indeed, but for many of us we're we're not. We continue to walk around again with grave clothes on. If you want something to read this week, Ephesians four seventeen through five twenty. It's about it's that's one chapter. Four seventeen through five twenty, or you can read Colossians three, one through seventeen. They both say the same thing, just a little bit different language. Paul's talking about moving from death to life, taking off our old person who died with Jesus and putting on the new person who's now alive with him. But for many of us, we continue to engage in practices and hold attitudes that are more in keeping with our dead self than our new alive self, our old self and not our new self. And then Paul in Ephesians four and five, he lists all of these grave clothes, these different sins. You'll see them up there on the screen. There are others in Colossians three. It's not exhaustive. It's just someone's pulled out of one verse. And so I want you to just skim that. It's easy to see ones that apply to other people. Think about the ones that apply to you. Are, are you wearing any grave clothes? I'm not asking if you're a Christian. I'm asking if you're free. Are you wearing any grave clothes? Some, one, some culturally acceptable sins for us. Greed is one. Strong desire for more. Irrespective of need. Obscenity, that's one. Apparently it's cool to be a cussing Christian now. We can do that because I don't know why. It's low-hanging fruit to me. That seems like an easy one. There's like a billion words you can say. Just don't say those other 10. There's all the sexual immorality ones. That's culturally acceptable for us now. There's so many of these. And, you know, none are better or worse than the other. There's none that are more significant than the other. They're all grave clothes. And again, there are others in the New Testament. The question for me, for, to you, is it's not, you know, are you struggling with those particular things? It's, is there any place in which you're still, and this is two ways to look at it, one, that you're still bound. Remember, the grave clothes are really tight. Lazarus can't walk very well until he's set free, until his friends take the clothes off of him. And so is that you? You're not living the abundant life that Jesus desires because you're still wrapped up in practices that are more in keeping with a dead person than a alive person. It hurts you. But also, those things, they smelled. They stunk really bad. You've driven past a dead animal. You know what that smells like. That's what all that stuff that Lazarus was wrapped up in, it stunk. And the same thing is true of us. If we're engaging in these practices that are more in keeping with our dead self than our new self, then we smell like death when we're around other people. We stink. Paul says we're supposed to be the aroma of Jesus. Don't hear this as guilt. We're supposed to be the aroma of Jesus, but oftentimes that's not what people smell when they're around us. They smell death because we're continuing to engage in sinful practices, and we don't have to. Just like you can't bring yourself back to life, you can't take off your own grave clothes. Lazarus needed help from his friends, and there's a place for all of us to have that type of friend. If you're married, I would say don't make it your spouse. That's not their job. You don't want your spouse being the one who's unwrapping the grave clothes off of you. But find someone who loves you and loves God and say, hey, this is where I struggle. I have a really hard time with my temper. I don't love that about myself, but I, I can't lick it. I need help. Uh, there's, it's hard for me. I live in this place where lots of people drive nicer cars than me, and that's hard. I want what other people have. It's hard for me to be content with what I've got. ask somebody to confess that to somebody. James says that if we confess our sins to one another, we're healed. But it's not just about confessing and then having kind of that dreaded accountability partner who calls you and asks you how much you've sinned in the last week. It's also a recognition that just like it's Jesus who brings us to life initially, it's Jesus who sets us free. And so it's saying, God, I can't on my own control my temper. I can't on my own become content with what I have. I can't on my own Stop talking bad about people, especially the ones I don't like. And so I need grace. I need your Holy Spirit to come and to empower me to move in a new direction. Paul says in Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians, have what you began in the Spirit are you trying to finish in your flesh? That's what so many of us try to do. We're, we know we've been born again by the Spirit of God, but then we try to be a Christian in our own strength and we fail. You don't have to do that. Acknowledge this is where I smell bad. These are the grave clothes that I'm still wearing. And Jesus, I need your help by your spirit to walk in a new way. Will you help me? And He will. That friend is important. The Holy Spirit's more important, if you'll ask Him. We have enough time for, um, we're going to take some time and do some ministry. Bo's going to come back, he's going to play. And this is what I want you to do. If you came in with a need, we want to pray with you about anything that's going on. We certainly want to, to address those needs. But these several groups, are you Mary and Martha this morning? Are you grieving something? I would encourage you to come forward and let the 15 steps that you take to walk down this aisle physically represent the desire of your heart to move towards Jesus, not away from him. And if you come forward, the only thing people are going to pray is that God would comfort you in the way that's most meaningful to you. He knows you better than we do. He knew Martha. He knew Mary. He knew what they need. He knows you, and He knows what you need. And we're just going to pray for God's mercies to be new to you every morning, that your testimony would be great as His faithfulness to you, and that He has been the God of all comfort in your life. I would encourage you, particularly if you're going, I don't know that He loves me. If that's somewhere back there, if he really loved me, he would have filled in the blank. That's where Mary and Martha were for a couple of days, I think. But Jesus comes, and they run to him, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe you're Lazarus. You're dead in your sins, and you're tired of it. Acknowledge, your, acknowledge that this morning. God, I confess. I recognize I'm dead in my sins, and apart from you working in my life, I'm going to stay that way. So would you forgive me of those sins, and would you breathe your life into me? We'd love to pray with you about that, that God would seal that work in you and fill you with his spirit so you can walk in a new direction. What about grave clothes? There's some practices, some attitudes that you're engaging in that smell a lot more like death than like Jesus. And just acknowledge that. Don't look around and say, well, this is what I'm doing. is not as bad as what somebody else is doing. That's 100% true. Really, it's irrelevant. Do you smell like death or do you smell like Jesus? And then just confess that to him. This is an area where I'm struggling. So God, I need you to empower me by your spirit to move in a new direction. If there's someone that would be helpful for me to talk with, I'll do it. Show me who's who's the right one, who's the person I need to share this with, who's going to spur me on to love and good deeds. So I'm going to say a prayer. You guys can go ahead and stand if you would. And then you can respond however you feel uh, led to do so. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply to every man and woman and student in this room all of the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection. I pray that you would forgive us of all of our sins. If there are any in this room this morning who are still dead in their trespasses and sins, I pray they would hear you calling very personally and very directly to them. Come out. Come out. Come out. You don't have to stay dead anymore. We, we still smell like death. We're still wearing grave clothes. God, would you set us free? We want to live the abundant life that you promised for us. And we confess that the reason, one of the reasons we struggle with sin is because we like to sin. But God, our ultimate desire, I think if you could peel everything away, is for holiness. And so, would you strengthen that desire within us and would you set us free from the bondage of sin in our life? People who struggled with things for years, God, I pray that today would be the day that they're set free by the power of your spirit and they begin to walk in a new direction. God, we do pray for any Marys and Marthas in here, that you would bind up every broken heart, that you would comfort all who mourn, that you would draw near to them as they draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys come forward however you want, but we'll dismiss us in a minute.